let's listen to really smart people, <laughs> take what they have to offer, and use it as our own. Kind of how we got through school. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jason, part two of sleep. Yes. How did I do in part one? Did I convince you to take sleep more seriously? Yes or no? Um, did you convince me more? Me? No. Dang it. But it was the same information I've already heard. You didn't hear most of that. I'm lying to myself and just to, so I don't have to do anything changes in my life. Okay. Yeah. Whatever gets you not changing that, that's what we're trying to do. But I'm guarantee the average listener didn't get through that whole thing. You think it was, yeah. So it it was like, uh, either turn off my phone in my car or run off the road and try to kill myself. So we did come up with, if anybody is struggling with sleep, uh, we think (laughs) just put on these two podcasts and that should cure it for you. Yes. (laughs) All right. So today we got part two. If my sleep is not good, what can I do? All right. So now it's like we went over the, the science and the studies and stuff last time. And then we wanted to make this part two is, hey, what can I do? Did if you come my up with that title good? on your own? What do you mean? Like what you just read? I was just, I'm just talking. Wow. You're just, you're just coming at it and just, you already yeah. had a title. I got my coffee going. I just was, I'm just going. Okay. I like it. Um, so before we get started, everybody go to www.thesimplifiedpodcast.com and subscribe to the newsletter because nobody has subscribed to the newsletter. Pretty much. All these, all these public service announcements we're doing to get people to tune into the newsletter. Nobody's doing it. Nick's six cousins have subscribed. Pretty much. Yeah. All Iowa (laughs) 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 trying to get at least a little Indiana participation here. (laughs) Okay. So your sleep sucks. What do you do about it? So we're going to start with tips for better sleep. So kind of just natural, you know, not supplement based, just things you can do. And then I feel like we would end with like, okay, now if you want to start branching into supplementation, we'll talk about some of those. Just give me the good stuff. Tip number one, uh, be mindful of your electronics before bed. So blue light can stop melatonin release. It increases sleep procrastination and increases anticipatory anxiety. You know, like if you're somebody who's checking social media or checking email and stuff like that right before bed, it kind of tends to like lead to this heightened state of anxiety. You know what I mean? So it's just like if you're somebody who's struggling to fall asleep for an hour or two before you go to sleep, maybe like let's turn the electronics off. So easy enough. So do we have, I'm guessing there's some evidence that you probably didn't print off, which is fine because I don't want to hear it. That's right. You see, you both. You give me crap for having too many studies, and when I don't have studies, you give me crap. It's lose-lose, <laughs> Just people. let me talk. <laughs> um, that shows that blue light, so the light coming from TVs, phones, or light bulbs, whatever, causes a delay in melatonin being released. Right. Because darkness is what causes that. Right, exactly. Like when you're trying to naturally boost melatonin release, um, you, know, you know, you just want to work on ways to like naturally just have light removal in the hours leading up to bed because you're right like that darkness is kind of what stimulates your pineal gland to release melatonin in your brain okay so question for you if if we know this and i'm guessing a lot of our listeners patients have heard this right yeah it's not something new right the average person will say okay i know i need to do that but the reality is i'm connected to my phone because of work it, it helps me relax sometimes because I just like to be on social media, blah, 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 mm-hmm. or I like to watch TV before I go to bed. What's the solution? That What solution do you have? Like, what, is there a time you need to stop this before you go to bed? I would say at least an hour or two before you go to an bed. An hour or two before. Mm-hmm. You need to cut out electronics, go sit in the dark and ditch, just hum. Ditch the blue light. Blue light. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you wear glasses? I think glasses <clears throat> have been shown to help. Yep. Like those blue light uh, glasses if you're somebody who just, just can't put the phone down. What's the blue? What does it do? Like, is it if it's decreasing melatonin, does it delay deep REM sleep? Um, because I'll just be completely honest, Nick. I lay in bed for probably a half hour to 45 minutes every night, yeah. texting you guys good articles that you guys don't respond to, usually right, around midnight. Because my phone's on quiet and I sleep like a baby. Okay. Well, that's good. I mean, I, I think some of this is like, if you sleep good, you know, if you're very like, I know I get good sleep, 
you know, some of these tips we're going over, it's kind of like, I think this is for people who like, they know, like we had somebody as we were coming into the, the pod studio talking about sleep, they were like, yeah, let me know because I wake up at night most nights and I can't get back to sleep. So gotcha. it's like, these are for people where it's like, you know, your sleep is not great. What can I do? Perfect. I would pro- start prioritizing. Let's not, let's ditch the blue light before bed. One to two hours. Zach, what do you have? I don't know if you know that you sleep like a baby. Cause until I was out in a situation where I didn't have any TVs around me for, it was about two weeks. Mm-hmm. I slept like a baby then. <clears throat> so that's always my like bottom or like, that's what I go off of now. Yeah, so that I makes sense. Say, no, say that again. it makes complete sense. So I went on a vacation where we weren't around TVs or anything. Oh, yeah. It's like a circadian rhythm type thing where you would wake up when the sun came up, and then when the sun was going down, you were going to bed. And man, I slept, you slept like a amazing. Baby. Yeah. Okay. Which is cool. I, I you, I, you're right. I don't know, but I feel good ninety nine percent of the time when I wake up. Okay, so I good. think to me, I got good enough sleep for myself imagine what it could be though Ooh. imagine what imagine. it could be well i'm not getting in a canoe going down the amazon to find <laughs> out like zach did okay tip number two. Oh wait wait so one to two hours before bed yep. get rid of or limit blue light correct either okay. through glasses or my recommendation would be just put the phone down so but what i mean people go to bed watching tv in their bedroom bad i well i know but just you think the glasses will help them it should help. Okay, so that's yeah. this person. They have a hard time falling asleep. They can only fall asleep watching TV. Maybe put on some glasses and see if that helps you fall into a deeper sleep or go to bed faster. Yep, gotcha. Okay, we're gonna and, and we're gonna go on some, you know, talk about some other stuff too about what other things you could do. Am instead. I asking too many questions? No, in, we're good. I mean, uh, I think we had said right before we went on, we want to keep this to you know forty minutes. Okay. So if you give me twenty minutes of challenges for each tip, we might not get there. <laughs> <laughs> tip number two: Don't eat too close to sleep time. It can raise your core body temperature. Um, you need your you need to drop your core body temperature by about two to three degrees to initiate sleep and stay asleep. Um, so again, cutting off eating two to three hours before bedtime. Good tip. I like that tip, but I'm going to play devil's advocate. Okay. <laughs> we played the sauna yeah. podcast, yep. and you said get in a sauna or hot shower or hot bath before you go to bed because it raises your core temperature. Yep. And well, yeah, it raises it and then your body senses the raise and will actively go to work trying to cool it. But if it's if it's digesting food, right. then it, it has a harder time because it still has to digest the food. It can't just say I'm stopping digesting. Exactly. That's right. what you it's mean. not just going to keep it okay. in your gut. I'm just right. thinking what the yeah, people no, are no, thinking. That's good. That's a good question. So don't eat too close to sleep time. Two to three hours before bedtime, maybe don't eat. God, that's hard. Number two, Tip number three. What if it, you're an athlete trying to gain weight? Can we have a protein shake before you go to bed? I mean, I know there are people who are trying to gain weight, like, you know, you, like you read these bodybuilders that wake up in the middle of the night to yeah. eat, you know, just because they have to get their calories in. Um, our goal here <laughs> is, not for is that. to optimize sleep, not get as huge as possible. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> Tip number three, for the same reason uh, of elevated core body temperature, which you're trying to avoid right before bed, except for sauna. Don't exercise too close to bedtime. That screws me up bad. Yes. If so I exercise within a couple hours, even maybe three, I sleep terribly. Yeah, right. And it's again, it, it's A, elevate your core body temperature, and B, you get these hormonal changes from working out, you know, epinephrine, adrenaline, cortisol, blah, 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 goes up when you exercise. So the idea is maybe two hours before bedtime, don't exercise. Okay. I like that. Next tip. Would you think cardio exercise would be a little bit better for you than like a heavy strength training, resistance training program? I would think so. From a like if you're just going to do some like zone two, like we've talked about, yeah. you know, where it's like, yeah, you are raising your body temperature, but you wouldn't think you'd be spiking epinephrine and adrenaline and right. cortisol a lot, right. you know? So okay. I, w- I, would ag- I would think that. Okay. But like, yeah, heavy strength training, probably not good right before bed. Next tip, keep the bedroom temperature between 65 and 68 degrees. Can you repeat that? Keep the bedroom temperature between 65 and 68 degrees. One more time for all the women out there. Keep the bedroom temperature between 65 (laughs) and 68 degrees. (laughs) I feel like you should have to get in your bed and be so cold. You have to cover up and just like move your legs around. You know, like when you just like kick them everywhere. Yes. When you get in bed. Yeah. I think uh, my next (laughs) mattress that I want to buy is one of those. What's it called, Zach? The five, eight or Eight, 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 eight sleep, eight sleep. That's what it is. Have you seen these? these is it these the cool? Is it the water cooled yeah. one? Or yeah, it's one where it's not just like something you put over your bed. There's yeah. something called the chili pad, which is just like a thing I think you put over your bed to keep it cool. This is like it's you. You can program it to like 
keep your bed at a certain temperature at different times, I think. Did a uh, GoFundMe on Eat Sleep back in like 2013. Uh, I remember, that's right. Yeah. It wasn't a good product then. Okay. Maybe it's a good product now. Hopefully. Yeah. I feel like I really want to get it for my next uh, mattress. But how can you do it unilateral? Like, can you do it on one side and then the other side? I don't know. Cold? That's a good because question. Because I'm telling you. Yeah, I know. Yep. Like most women are just naturally colder than men, right? Agreed. So, so yeah, it's always, I, just like you said, it's a common fight. You know, I would love to have my bedroom at 65 degrees when I go to bed. Mm -hmm. That that's tough when you got somebody in the bed with you who doesn't want it that cold. Yes. Yep. So I found the, uh, the dual sided, uh, heating pad mattress pad. Okay. Are you guys you're not even paying attention? We're looking at the eight. I'm looking at the eight. You, you can, it's one, it's, it looks like it's two sides there. Wow. How much is that bad boy? Maybe they'll sponsor us. Right? Eight sleep. You guys need another? <laughs> Doesn't you know when it says improve your sleep beyond belief, man, there you go. Th little over three grand. No, that's just for the pod three. I want the max. What's the max? Six layers. I want the California King. 4,000. I don't think that's that bad. Cause aren't, I don't aren't so those either. sleep that's number beds a lot more? Cause I mean, this comes with an entire unit to be able to cool. Yes. How do you know the mattress is comfortable? You got to fill that up with water every night. I can't. I don't, can't, know, if I, I don't know. know if it's a dehumidifier to make it cooler. Yeah. I know the, there's like oh, some kind of apparatus yeah. or moisture out of it. I would just crank that baby down, sleep like Ooh, a baby. Yeah. But you know, it's not fun when you wake up at like 5 a.m. You know, when your body temperature is trying to rise yeah. and it's cold. Well, you can program it so it, it gets warmer. Yeah. It's got a vibration and a thermal alarm. Yeah. That's sweet. So if you say, hey, by 5 a.m., I want the temp to start climbing, you can set that. I'm pretty wow. sure. Yeah. But if my it's mattress legit. vibrated, <laughs> cooled me off, warmed me up, I might never come to work. <laughs> it's going to lose all his quarters. He's going to be putting in that bed nonstop. <laughs> so all you do is put a quarter in? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Next tip. Caffeine. I don't be believe this. Be careful. So, Jason, what do you think that caffeine, uh, what is the half-life on average for most people with caffeine? Four hours. Six hours. Six. It has a So, half-life of six hours, it has a quarter life of 12 hours. So, in other words, after six hours, 50% of the caffeine is still in your brain. Mm -hmm. After 12 hours, 25% of the caffeine is still in your brain. So, a cup of coffee at noon... A quarter of that caffeine is still in your brain at midnight. Ooh. Just keep that in mind for all you late caffeine drinkers. Again, I, I think people's caffeine metabolism obviously varies. So I do know people where it's like, man, I got a cup of coffee at whatever, and you know, I fall asleep. It's like, all right, if your sleep is good, your sleep is good. But for people who are struggling, it's just another thing to say, all right, maybe I'm going to start cutting off the caffeine at like 11 a.m. And the mechanism of action of caffeine, I always find this interesting. It's not a stimulant necessary, necessarily. Like it doesn't cause you to get hyper or excited by, by caffeine itself. Right. It basically increases neurotransmitter levels by blocking these receptor sites, right? Right. So then the, the neurotransmitters that you need to increase to go to sleep are actually decreased with caffeine. Right. But I have, I, when I did my 23andMe, yeah. guess what I have? Nordic, Irish. <laughs> <laughs> There's no Nordic. Okay. I'm five nine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No Viking in you. No blonde. No blue eyes. <laughs> um, I have a gene that I am able to process caffeine quickly. Okay. And I am significantly less sensitive to caffeine's effects. Okay. I so can have can caffeine and go to bed. Okay. So I can too. See, Zach right. might well, have the same gene. But that's kind of the same question I was going to ask. But you also know people, sorry not to interrupt, Zach. But you, like you also know people, <laughs> you're not sorry, but you also know people who are the opposite, right? Where it's like they're extremely sensitive to caffeine. Usually old people because they think they are. Right. Go ahead. So is it falling asleep or like the, like keeping you out of certain rhythms of sleep, the caffeine? I think it would prevent you from falling asleep effectively okay. would be my guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. My a, my AHR gene, really, I have two of them. They're really good. They're really good. Okay. Yeah. So I don't might, know if that's good for me, but. Well, again, just think what, how good your sleep could be, Jason. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here's one where I know Jason's really going to get uncomfortable. 
alcohol. Probably why, the m- why? Why me? <laughs> You've been challenging every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a drunk. There were some Irish in that 23 and Me, wasn't there? Are you allowed to say that? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so uh, alcohol, probably the most misunderstood sleep aid, right? So it's 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 a sedative, you know. So it, it kind of works like a sleeping pill. So although you might lose consciousness, consciousness, that's not the same as falling asleep and getting good sleep. Yeah, I I, I agree with you there. So like alcohol, it kind of like breaks up or. You know, it, it has a way of chopping up your sleep cycle due to increasing your core body temperature and inhibiting vasopressin. So basically, you got to pee more. But um, then so I, you wake up many more times during the night. This blocks REM sleep, like we talked about last podcast. Yeah. So I, I did uh, w- go down the uh, rabbit hole once and look into that because I was nervous. Because if I have a glass or two of wine at night, mm-hmm. I tend to feel like I sleep really well, even though I do feel like I sleep well anyway. But then I noticed I was groggier in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. And I did find where um, as you have ethanol, your body basically has to metabolize all the ethanol before it will even put you into deep sleep. Um, so I think that's the mechanism, right? You're losing that deep REM sleep. Right. And that's by the exactly time right. you get into deep REM, it's time to wake back up. Yeah. I think right. that's, I really believe that's where a majority of the hangover feelings come from. Is you're just really inhibiting REM. You're just not like sleeping. You're yeah, much. you're not yeah. recovered. Right. Even though you, you're blacked out. Yeah. Not that I was, but yeah. Fr- <laughs> friends of yours. Yes. <laughs> but you wake up and you're like, I feel like I haven't even slept. Yeah, right. You know? That's the thing. I think it's because you're up and down and moving so frequently throughout the night that you're never getting adequately getting into REM. Right. Yep. Okay. So again, alcohol is just one of those things right before bed. You might want to watch that. Uh, okay, next tip. Don't lie in bed awake for very long. Ooh. Um, your your like your brain is like remarkable, like very associative with like if you're in your bed, this is a, supposed to be a place for sleep. And if you all of a sudden your bed bed turns into this is a place where I just watch TV or this is a place where I, you know, whatever, then you know you your brain will start associating your bed as a place of being awake. So you want to like break that association, get out of bed. Like if you're having a hard time sleeping, don't just lay in bed. Get up, go sit in a chair, go read. Go do something like that. So and you, then once you get tired, go back to your bed. So you're talking about the person that goes to lay down in bed and, 20, and they just, 30 minutes later, they're there. still yep. there and they're not even close to sleep. Get right. out of bed. Get out of bed. Go read. Read. Yep. Journal. Drink, drink wine. Meditate. Do something. Right. <laughs> drink caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. I, right. I, okay. So that, it's just a good tip of like, if you know you're one of those people and we're trying to like, I want to try to get my sleep better. I want to try to get my sleep better. Maybe cut out the alcohol, cut out the blue light, cut out the caffeine at certain times. And don't be somebody that just lays awake in bed for a long time. You want to break that association of like bed is a place where I just lay and think. Make your chair next to your bed the place where you sit and think. I think that's the good greatest tip. benefit of having ADHD is that when I lay down in bed, I've already forgotten everything I was supposed to remember. And you're just, you're out. 30 seconds I'm out that's I'm the same way it makes my wife mad yeah my yep. wife gets mad too right like as soon as my head hits the pillow I'm gone I'm gone yeah well yep. you wake up at 3 a.m. anyway so not three um so uh in the last hour before bed this one we're gonna get a little there there was a pretty good study on this so there's a study called the effects of bedtime writing on difficulty falling asleep a polysomographic study comparing to-do lists and completed activity lists where it basically just kind of shows um, like this study showed that you can decrease time it takes insomniacs to fall asleep by 50% doing things like um, relaxing. So we're talking about, okay, I, I'm laying in bed. I can't fall asleep. What should I do? Get up, read, do relaxing body movements, light stretching, nothing strenuous, meditation. That is very strong when treating insomnia, especially with people who struggle with their mind racing. Journaling, writing journaling can decrease the takes the, times, the, the time it takes to fall asleep. Um, and like I said, there's, there's studies on this stuff. Like when I was reading, there was a, there was an, um, the author going through this was like, I know this might sound kind of hokey, but he's like the science on it's actually pretty good for journaling, journaling, um, write down all the concerns you're having and finish with three things you're grateful for. Do you think 
the reason most people can't fall asleep quickly is because their mind is wandering. They can't shut it off. That's, I think, what people would say. Because they're worried about what I have just to do tomorrow whatever, or, yeah, or whatever. Or just things on their mind. Yeah. And so if you can kind of settle it down by talking about things you're grateful for, like I said, this there's authors that have said, like, the science on this is actually pretty impressive. So, have again, you, if you're just you one of those people. journal? But I'm not somebody, I'm like you. My head hits the pillow, I'm out. I didn't mean for sleep. I Oh, yeah, and just in general? No, I've not tried journaling. I can't. I, I've never even tried. You know what? My brain never <clears throat> stops during the day. Okay. The second I grab like a notebook and a pen, it's like I've lost, I've forgotten everything I've ever known. Nothing <laughs> I don't I, even know I, what I to draw say. like an arrow and a picture and then I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great looking arrow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, there's this stuff just showing like when a person's in a negative mood state, it takes them longer to fall asleep. Um, and their sleep is worse when they do fall asleep. And if you put them in a positive mood state, fall asleep faster, sleep is better. That's why ending your journaling with positivity is important. Ooh, so I wonder if there's like a um, genetic component to that sleep mechanism. Because you know there's like just personality types, right? Yesterday in our in our director meeting, mm-hmm. Kelly had everybody do uh, the personality profile. Oh, the yeah. desk profile, right? Okay. And inherently, there's just people personality-wise who are pessimistic. yeah. And I wonder if that plays a bigger role in them sleeping. And then it's just this cycle of right pessimist, tired, pessimist, tired. I hate everyone. Right. And then I just get yeah, the sky's falling. Angry. Right. Right. Where I'm like, oh, there's a rainbow outside. This is pretty. Yeah. Because there's a nice 2009 study called The Effect of Mood on Sleep Onset Latency and REM Sleep um, in inter-episode bipolar disorder. So basically just kind of saying like, yeah, you know, mood. What your mood is when you go to sleep can impact how well you're sleeping. There you go. So, And also another reason why avoiding email and social media an hour before bedtime is a good idea. And then is it the chicken or the egg? What do you mean? Like, is it the mood causing the sleep? Is it the sleep causing the mood? At some point, it's probably just a cycle that never ends. Yeah, right. Right? You're right. So you need to break that. Okay. And then before we get into supplements, um, and I don't know if we want to talk about sleep trackers, but... um, I think it's a good topic. Zach Zach will have some input. Okay. Uh, Last but not least, so, so the last... Uh, kind of natural thing to try of all these tips. Um, try to have a consistent wake up time. Yes. So they had said, uh, this is kind of like top dog for a lot of sleep specialists. So they said, even after a night of terrible sleep, um, like you want to just say, I'm getting up at whatever that time is for you, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 9 a.m., like try to make it consistent. That is a good step towards optimizing sleep is even if you have a terrible night's sleep, don't try to sleep until noon the next day. Just say, look, I'm getting up at this time. I'm going to try to keep that cycle going and not fall into bad patterns. I like that. Okay. I've noticed myself, my body naturally wants to wake up between 6 and 6.30 without an alarm or whatever. I just wake up. Right? Yeah, right. I'm kind of the same way. And then if I have nothing, if I, there's no need for me to get out of bed, mm-hmm. then I'll usually go to the bathroom and I'll go back, lay back down for a half hour, 45 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I usually feel like shit if yeah. I do that again. Right. Right. And as you get up, you're just super groggy. Yes. For and sure. I've, I've had the same just, thing. Even though I tell myself this, just like, just get out of bed, Jason. I right. rarely do it. Right. I'm the same way. Usually on weekends where yes. it's like, I don't have to get up. I'll right. try to just kind of lay there for a while. And sometimes I will fall back asleep and I feel like I'm always like, God, I'm way groggier yeah. after doing that. But I'm just bored. If I get up by myself, I'm bored. I have to be quiet in the house. Yeah. You know, if it's cold outside, I don't right. want to go outside. I'll drink three pots of coffee. Right. Do you ever just sit and meditate? Get, you know, really. Meditating is like journaling to me. Yeah. Just I've tried. I had this app on my phone. I okay. made it for like three days. Didn't do it. Didn't do it. I can't. Good. I could. The second I try, 10 seconds in, I've taken two breaths and I'm like thinking about what I have to do tomorrow. Okay. Have you tried to meditate, Zach? Zach, you for sure have. Yeah, a lot. Okay. Like a lot? Like you do it a lot or you've tried a lot? No, I, I do it. Well, I, I, I'm, I'll get into ha- like good habits of it. So um, I've got the, uh, what is the app that I've got? Is it uh, Sam, I, Sam Harris's? No. Well, I had that for a while. Okay. I, that got a little boring. Like there wasn't enough variation there and like voices and everything else and like okay. what you were doing. But See, I think I that, that, may, voices, that may have changed. Trouble. Well, yeah. like the people talking to you, oh, like gotcha. guiding you through it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. See, like I have this thing. I don't know if you're the same way, Jason, but like when it comes to guided meditation, I find myself like I just the the sound of it is annoying to me. Yes. You know what I mean? Like when whenever somebody, you know, it doesn't matter, male voice, female voice, whatever, like whenever like there's like soft music and they're like, okay, now take a deep. Like I just get really annoyed. It's almost like just for me, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah, I just don't like it. So it, it throws me like off. Like I'd probably would have to go do like some mushrooms or something. <laughs> 
I've never done that, but I, but, but maybe it would help. Yes. The easiest, but weirdest meditation thing that I've ever done is like, I've got a uh, VR headset. Okay. And in that they've got one and it's got visual stuff for you, but it's not like super distracting from like what's going on. I would do that right before I'd fall asleep. I'd like nine times out of 10 fall asleep with the VR headset on. There you go. I feel like Like, I could do that. Like if it was just soft music, I'm okay. Yeah. Or something visual, I'm okay. But the second I hear like a soft voice, it's just like, I don't like that. This one would kind of like pop in and out out of nowhere. Okay. Ooh, I don't know if I could do that one. It was, you got to try that one out. If I did that in bed though, I'd be gone. Yeah. I mean, I already fall asleep. asleep. I lay in bed and I get like a sentence into my prayer and I'm already like passed out. Yep. So, uh, but I respect those people. Like, I wish I could do that. Right. No, people that do it. I'm like, that's, I mean, they know, they know clearly you have a level of Zen that I don't have. Yes. But like those monks that can heat up their body temperature by just sitting there. (laughs) Right. That's badass. We're not there yet. No. Maybe we'll get there. No. Maybe we, maybe that needs to be part of our podcast is just like chronic, chronicling our meditation journey. How to be a monk. How to be a monk. I don't think anybody find that interesting, but, um, okay. Wearable sleep stuff. I've never done it. Have you? Yes. What did you do? Aura? No. When uh, we went down our path of uh, this partnership with iFit. Oh, yeah. They were um, trialing. There was like a, uh, a, a sleep what, disc sleep disc that you put under your mattress, and it had an app on your phone. Oh, okay. And it, it um, detected motion and how much motion, yep. and then it would correlate that to REM, non-REM sleep, right? Oh, okay. So I did that for probably six months. Okay. And I got to the point where I my 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 personality I would I get obsessed about things if I start doing it over and over. Yeah. Where it was almost ruining my life. <laughs> Not really, but I would I would I would wake up in the morning and I would look at my app my sleep score and I'd be like, Holy shit. Yeah, this is bad. I'm gonna die. That's funny. I feel like we should that should be like a Twitter thread, like sleep trackers ruin my life. <laughs> <laughs> I would click on that. I do think there is some, uh, there has been some more recent, um, I wouldn't say experts, but people in the health field that are questioning what is the purpose of doing these. Well, and yeah, so like when I was thinking through this and, and you know, researching and, and trying to come away with it. Like I said, I've never done a sleep tracker. Um, I think I'm kind of like you in that I think I sleep pretty good, so I just never have thought I needed it. Um, but interestingly, there are several studies that have shown like kind of what you're saying, where it's like if I wake up in the morning, even if I think I slept well, but then I look down and it turns out my sleep score or whatever was not good, it just sets you up to have a bad day. Like all of a sudden your cognitive functioning is lower, your physical performance is lower, and they, it's funny, they do these studies, I think we mentioned this on the last podcast, where it's like somebody could sleep for eight hours, but they just told them that they'd only got five hours of sleep and it, and, and it was poor quality. Right. And all of a sudden they start performing poorly on these cognitive, you know what I mean? So it's almost just like this power of intention type thing. Right. And they've reproduced, I think, a couple of times where it's just kind of interesting. Like, no, even though you got good sleep, if somebody tells you you got bad sleep, you know. Well, that's where I, I almost wonder. It's just like, oh my gosh, the psychological, like you said, it's just like, oh my God, I can't think I'm, you know, I'm not well rested and all this stuff. So I, I feel like I've landed on, I've heard other people say this where it's like, if you're using a sleep tracker for the purpose of like, okay, I'm going to make some of these changes we just got done talking about. And I just want to see if it's helping in certain ways. There's probably some value in that. Mm-hmm. But I think to just always do it and just kind of be checking it, I think you're running a high risk of like, you know, placebo and power of intention, you know, just like messing with your brain. I would agree. So it's kind of like if you're using it to short-term track, like I want to see I'm making this intervention or I'm taking this supplement. I want to see if it's helping me. Probably good. But if it's just, I don't know, to just do it all the time, I think you're, I don't know, running a risk of like screwing with your brain. So for me, like when I wore, I wore the the whoop strap and you would get a score in the morning or whatever. Okay. Say I got a low score. Like I would do all of the things you've listed to get a better night's sleep and I would get another low score. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, I can't do anything about yeah. this to like help it anyways. Like I, I just give up. Yeah. That, and then I would cancel the membership. That was my bigger issue is there, the, two things with that. One is, do they know my brain and sleep cycle well enough? Or are they just correlating me with whatever study they did and we're all the same. Yeah. I, I, that's one thing I question. Number two is if I'm not going to do every single thing you just listed, then I'm just lying to myself every morning, but it's making me feel bad. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather just tell myself, cause there is some studies that shows like positivity, just thinking you're good. You're like, you feel good. Yeah. 
is improving longevity and a bunch of other parameters, like I think maybe I just lie to myself every morning, but I feel like I'm good. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> and then there'd be times where I would like drink or whatever on the weekend. My score would be 100%. And I'm like, I did everything, <laughs> did everything, everything I should have. Yeah, yeah, and I got yeah. 100% score. Which means you should be drinking more. <laughs> well, and it kind of makes me think, is there something about these trackers where maybe just the accuracy isn't that, I don't know, isn't where it need to be. I haven't read anything saying sleep trackers are notoriously inaccurate, but I would just wonder. Because I did look at like these, these sleep trackers, they're basically tracking three things, right? Number one, movement, mm -hmm. like how much you're moving through the night. Number two, your heart rate. And number three, your heart rate variability. And then it's just kind of taking all those factors into account and then kind of giving you this overall sleep score. But it's just using like an algorithm for the average person. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's almost like I've heard some people say like, maybe just focus in on your heart rate variability. Because like the movement thing, maybe you just moved or twitched or something and, and it registered something. A kid that, sleeping with you. Yeah, or a kid sleeping with you. And maybe it didn't actually impact your sleep, but it, you know, your your uh, sleep tracker is saying it did or something. I think it does say something like did, does like the dog or whatever sleep in your bed. Like when you're filling out like the, the beginning profile. Oh, so, okay. So maybe try and take some of that into, into well, account. I think that should be rule number one. No, uh, kids or pets in bed. There you go. Yeah. If our dog jumps in the bed, I kick it as far as I can off the bed. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Uh, I think you are. Okay. We might get some angry letters, but <laughs> he's all your, bark. No, do you, have, do you have a dog? I've got two dogs. They yeah. sleep in the bed with you. No. God, okay. No. Yeah. Same. Yeah, I have a dog and it's never big, been in the bed. Dogs. Yeah. So anyway, I, I've heard people say like, maybe just zero in on, let me just look at my heart rate variability and see what it's doing through the night and then just kind of track it over time instead of worrying so much about whatever arbitrary score it's giving you. I don't know. But I've then I, I, there, I, I read something. This was, uh, it was around spring break time. So the beginning of April. So what is it? Like a month ago mm -hmm. that showed that the HRV of devices is very inaccurate and it listed okay. all the devices and how accurate they were. I think that's a podcast for another time. Okay. But if we're tracking HRV, do we have enough data to support what HRV we should be at? Mm -hmm. And then do we have any data to support that what we're wearing is tracking it in an accurate manner? Right. I think so. I, I think Are we just right. using numbers and then we don't know? Right. I think I did read one study, just skimming one to look, learn about heart rate variability. And it was kind of like, yeah, here's what we what we think we kind of know. Whereas if your heart rate variability is higher, it seems to more be parasympathetic, you know, rest and digest. Mm -hmm. And if it's, if it's lower, maybe you're in this fight or flight sympathetic but it kind of ended by saying there's a lot more study, you know, research that needs to be done on this. I don't think we can really say for sure what's good or bad for people. But I think until they come up with some cap that you wear that is an EEG yeah. that can look at brainwave activity and know that, oh, he is in or she, you're in this level of sleep this much and do that for a period of time and then have a standard for you. I don't know if we can get to an accurate level. And right. I'm just thinking out loud. I yeah. Don't, no, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm now okay. I think. I think there is something to support college athletes, professional athletes to get them in that mindset of, I need to be sleeping this much. We're going to put these on you to see if you have recovered to do the next workout the following day. Yeah. So doing some of these HRV recovery tests and say, just to get buy-in, right? Cause we know it's good for you to sleep. And if anything, college athletes sleep the least cause they're, there's social life, there's studies, you're yeah. stressed, you're traveling, right. all these things. Right. Like, I think that could potentially be a good thing for them just to get buy-in, mm -hmm. especially for the males. Females tend to do a much better job of listening no. and following instructions. You're right. Yep. When you're trying to boost performance, it's like, yeah, optimizing your sleep should be part of that. Right. Now, for me, it would have been, oh, I can go to sleep or... I can go out. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're going to change. Yeah, you're not going to change those kids. It's only going to be when you show up and you have to turn that stuff into either the athletic trainer or the strength coach. And they're like, hey, uh, we've noticed every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm -hmm. yeah. We talked to a college athlete like recently that had to have their whoop on and yep. have it charged all the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was that? I don't remember. Well, we can't name names. But yeah, no. but yeah, I was wondering. So, I mean, it, it has gotten to the point where they are giving them. No, it was a. It was a... Uh, like what sport? It, I think it was a professional athlete. Oh. Yeah, you wonder if at that level they're a lot... You know, yeah, hey, like we're they paying you this for much so money, like you better... I just had a college athlete in that was talking about their university got them for all the athletes. Or okay. Maybe they had to buy them or whatever it was. My issue is, is there a qualified professional there that can read these results and understand on an individual level? It's kind of like when everybody started wearing catapult vests in the NBA and NFL, a lot of these data points, which uh, so catapults a vest you wear, it's an accelerometer. It measures player load, acceleration, all these things. 
that information goes to the strength coach or the ATC and they have no background in reading this, you basically need to have an algorithm and a statistician be able to decipher a ream of paper yeah, every right. day. Like who's doing it? Dude, it was, well, so when Catapult first came around, like we were in the G League, or I was in the G League and I was trained on it and nobody knew how to use the data. It was the biggest waste of time We, ju we just did a, money. a combine in the first station. So the first 20 minutes, we downloaded the first station and it was 1.27 million pages of Excel documents. <laughs> now, we do have a, a psycholo psychological statistician that is coming up with algorithms. Like, we've gone through what we want to see. So he has to start going back and coding all that, and it'll decipher it and pull it. But it's still like, <laughs> if you don't have that person on your staff, what are you doing? I know. Well, and plus, I would just be real, based off these studies we just talked about, about how, a, like being told you had a terrible night's sleep and its impact on performance. I'd be real nervous about giving that to athletes all the time. You yeah. Know what I mean, Oh, game day. Oh, your sleep was terrible. God, you suck. Yeah, right. It's just like, I don't think that's good to put it in their head, especially in uh, college athletes that their brain still developing. And you start going down this road of you're not good. You're not doing good. Yeah. You're right. Not doing good. Not, doing just, good. not yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Sleep's terrible. Sleep's terrible. Depressed yeah. and they're away from right. home and they're freaking out. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. So let's not do those. Okay. We're not getting a sponsorship from either one of the, those companies. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've already shot ourselves in the foot there. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to try in what the next five minutes, let's breeze through supplements. Let's say we're going to branch into supplementation. Okay. What's the most popular I, one? I can't wait for this. I, you, I'm you, so excited. You no, were no, all fired you, up about you go, that. You go. All right. Hot so shot. top dog and one that we've gotten some questions about, melatonin. So how does melatonin work? You tell me. So there's this gland in your brain called your pineal gland, and it releases melatonin in the dark, and melatonin, uh, therefore, is a signal to the body that it's time to sleep. Okay. Okay. We'll keep it. That's That's simplified. Um, so problem number one with, with taking melatonin um, is that normally for adults, when your body releases melatonin at night in the dark, it releases a very small amount. So like 20 to 100 micrograms, okay. not milligrams, micrograms. Ooh. And so I've read this, that one problem is that when you go and buy over-the-counter melatonin supplements, it's it's very hard to find like a dose that's less than a thousand like micrograms. Um, and so it's like problem number one is a lot of these supplements, like you are taking a lot of melatonin, much more than your body would normally produce. Um, and and there, there's been data that says that if you take anything over 700 or 800 micrograms orally, which is, I think, most melatonin supplements orally, it tends to impact melatonin receptors in the brain by downregulating them. Um, in other words, like you put so much melatonin into place, the brain gets sort of desensitized to it and you reduce the, the receptors in your brain. So basically, if you're somebody who's going to be taking melatonin, and I think they're, it's making more and more people a little iffy about whether that's a good thing or not, it should be a very low dose, like 100 micrograms. Should yeah, I be mean, a dose if this, you're going to do it. This website, PubMed, um, so the National Institute of Health says uh, 0.3 milligrams is should be the typical dose taken. What's 0.3 milligrams? Can you convert that to micrograms? No, don't. I, don't I feel like to. even that's too high. Well, Zach, 0. 0.3 milligrams, 3,000 micrograms. <laughs> it's way too much. Well, 0.3 milligrams. So I don't is, think, I don't think you are sorry. That's three milligrams. I typed oh yeah. Three is 300 micrograms. That's what I thought I was. Gonna okay. Do. Even that it's kind of high based on what I looked at. So, I would say even cut that in half. If you have, if, if so that's 300, is you're I'd taking gel half. caps. Yeah. Right. So I, I think, um, from the, what I had pulled from research on PubMed was it looks like there is decent uh, sleep data and safety data and melatonin in short-term bouts. Like, listen, I'm not able to fall asleep tonight. I'm not even tired to go to bed. Take melatonin in a small dose, and it might help you that night. I think the problem we're seeing is we don't know the long-term effects, mm -hmm. especially at high doses. And so people just become... Um, accustomed like oh i'm not going to sleep good tonight so they start taking it every single night and there's where the problem might lead you know what i mean yeah it's made for um issues where it's a one or two night problem or i'm traveling and now it's 
uh, I'm in a different time zone and I need to go to bed, but I'm not even tired and I take it that night or I'm not able to fall asleep tonight. It's not, it's so it's when you have symptoms, not as a preventative measure. Okay. That's what I would say. Okay. Yeah. I did find, so we've had some, there's been some um, controversy on kids taking melatonin. Right. We had somebody in our office. Yep. They're four-year-old. Doctor said it was okay to give him melatonin. Okay. So what we do is we make fun of her and scare her to death. So she um, is now worried. Yeah, right. We've so there has been some studies showing that um, taking melatonin in adolescence. So in that conversion of I haven't started pu- puberty and I'm getting ready to start puberty. So anywhere from 9, 10 to 14, 15 years old. Yep. Um, that it can cause a rapid acceleration of puberty onset. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought, for some reason, I thought you were going to say the, something else. Okay. No. So, it, it so causes- the mechanism we thought would happen. So what happens is when you take melatonin, it suppresses the melatonin in your brain. Yeah. But we thought it would um, decrease uh, gonadotropin-releasing hormone, so a gr- growth hormone. Yeah. What they found in mice is that that mechanism really doesn't hold true. The gonadotropin-releasing hormone stays the same for the most part. It doesn't affect that. But what it does cause is a rapid increase in spike in FSH. If you go back to our testosterone or menopause um, podcast, if you're increasing follicle-stimulating hormone, it will cause an increase in women um, to have more eggs. So it's basically going to cause puberty to onset quicker. In men, it'll cause um, an increase in sperm, which when FSH goes up, you're likely going to get a, a spike in testosterone and male hormones. And so it's going to prematurely put that kid into puberty. Puberty. Okay. And it seems to be more estrogen sensitive. So even in boys, we have this potential of increasing estrogen more than testosterone, which are not good things when a boy is starting to go through puberty. So it sounds like simplified takeaway on that is there is some evidence and some concerns being raised that taking melatonin, especially since we said most people who take melatonin is probably very often way too high of a dose. And when you're kind of entering those puberty years, it could jack with those hormones. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'm going to pull a Nick Goins and just say this. Just so everybody knows, Jason is currently surrounded by four papers <laughs> and studies around him. <laughs> This was in uh, the Journal of Molecules. This was in 2021. Melatonin administration accelerates puberty onset in mice by promoting FSH synthesis. Okay. So the problem is doing studies on humans that potentially are causing an increase in hormone levels isn't very ethical to do a blinded study. So one group takes real melatonin, the other group doesn't, and you don't stop the study if you start to see a problem with an adolescent's hormone levels, that's unethical. You can't do that. Okay. So we have to kind of correlate it with yeah, right. my studies, right? right? Like, do you really want to screw up these kids that are in this study? Exactly. So that would be the one worry I would have is like, if you're going to do it maybe once or twice, the kid can't go to sleep. It's a Sunday night. They slept till two mm-hmm. on Sunday and they can't go to sleep at night. Do you try that? Potentially. Do right. you try Benadryl or NyQuil? Might be just as good or better. Okay. Right. Okay. So... Yeah, I had uh, somebody just ask me, like, yeah, a lot of times when I wake up in the middle of the night, I can't fall back asleep. I take Benadryl, and it knocks me back out. Is that good or bad? I kind of told him, like, I don't know. It's probably not the worst thing, but I, it kind of reminds me of alcohol. Like, is it really putting you back to sleep, or is it just knocking you out? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. Okay, um, so melatonin, we kind of talked about that. Like, probably the most popular one, but A, make sure your dosage is not way, way, way too high, and B... There are there is some counter arguments to maybe not want to do it. And I hear more and more longevity people saying like, look, we're not really encouraging frequent, constant melatonin taking, you know, kind of like you said, if it's here and there, it's probably okay. Just check the dosage. Mm-hmm. But like this every night thing, probably not great. My favorite. Go. Is an amino acid called glycine. Ooh, baby. So you can buy glycine at any health food store, probably in most grocery stores. So glycine spelled G-L-Y-C-I-N-E. Just So yeah. glycine um, is an amino acid. It helps with uh, neurotransmitter conversion. Um, and if you take that, it's usually in a powder, like crystal powder. You mix it with some water, juice, whatever you want. And uh, it dissolves pretty easy. Take it about 30 minutes before bed and three grams and there is studies to show that is very beneficial i found um a meta-analysis done on the 
efficacy of dietary supplements on improving sleep quality, a systemic systematic review and meta analysis. This wow. doesn't sound like Nick wow. at this point. <laughs> <laughs> they did have a 95% confidence interval on this one. It's really good. Glycine's a good one. Um, that uh, the conclusion was that amino acids, specifically glycine, um, were significantly beneficial to improve sleep quality. Yeah. Yeah, I found there was a human study done where participants were taking three grams of lysine and found it. Glycine, not lysine. Glycine, yeah. Did I say lysine? Yeah. Glycine. The human study used three grams of glycine and found that, number one, it may, it helped it shorten sleep latency. So basically, you fall asleep quicker and reduce the latency to slow wave sleep. Like it allowed you to get into slow wave sleep quicker because a lot of times if you go to bed late, it's been a crappy day. You're not able to get into that as quick and this helped with that. Perfect. Um, one contraindication, if you are somebody who's taking clozapine, uh, you shouldn't be taking glycine, FYI. All right. I don't even know what clozapine is. I don't know. I didn't click on it. All right. said if it's a medic medication. Okay. I'm assuming it's something that does something to your central nervous system. So yeah. yeah. Yep. Glycine. That's a good one. Perfect. Uh, what else did you want to talk about? You want to uh, talk about ashwagandha? You hated that one. I think it's not good. All right. There you are. Go for it. Go do your study over there. There are human studies with ashwagandha. In, in every problem. Testosterone. Yeah. That's a lot of people, like a lot of testosterone boosters, ashwagandha. Yes. Yeah. So is it just a catch-all? Is it a uootrope, a neurotropin? Um, I don't know. I, I know ashwagandha for it. It decreases, like it reduces serum cortisol. What if your cortisol is fine? Well, then you don't need to take ashwagandha. <laughs> so there's two randomized control trials with ashwagandha. Found that one one of them found that 300 milligrams of ashwagandha two times per day for 10 weeks shortened sleep onset latency, improved sleep efficiency, and sleep quality. All right. Second randomized control trial that used either 250 or 600 milligrams daily ashwagandha uh, found that it reduced serum cortisol and improved subjective sleep quality based on a seven point sleep scale. Okay. Contraindications, don't take ashwagandha if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, if you're pre-surgery, if you have stomach ulcers, autoimmune conditions, and patients on meds for uh, managing diabetes, high blood pressure, or thyroid disorder. So if you're on meds like, for diabetes, like don't take ashwagandha. a pharmaceutical commercial right, right. now. <laughs> Just thought it was interesting because I think ashwagandha, I feel like you disagreed with this, but I think it's a fairly common one. Wrong. Okay. Hey, but, I, may, I may have missed this, but I think you're supposed to spread it out too throughout the day. Because if you take it in a larger dose, you're going to have some gastrointestinal issues. With ashwagandha? Yeah. Okay. Do you have any idea what a large dose is? Well, you just said 300 milligrams. 300, two times a day. What do they give you for like if you're trying to boost testosterone? I thought it was 300. Sounds right. I think that's fine. But if you're taking the 600 all at once, I think you're going to have some issues. Really? And it doesn't matter when you take it? Like you don't need to take it before bed? It just said throughout the day. I mean... And then are you supposed to cycle it? Because I thought that when we did the uh, testosterone podcast, we had some discussion on you can't take it year round. You need to cycle yeah. it in three month cycles. I think you're right. Yeah. Yep. So this is a terrible sleep aid. <laughs> you yep. got to take it for eight weeks, <laughs> then you got to quit taking it. <laughs> All right. Do you want to talk about it anymore? You want to um, talk about valerian? You love valerian. Valerian root it happens to be a very good supplement. Okay. Okay. All right. So valerian root, um, it's the, it's the ex extract. Um, taking about 150 milligrams. If you go by any, not any, most supplements that uh, tout sleep aid over the over the counter, most of them are going to have valerian root in it. You can buy valerian root by itself. Um, valerian root uh, s seems to be a GABA, um, I think, agonist. So it increases levels of GABA in the brain like receptors. I think it works a lot like uh, diazepam, which is a pharmaceutical muscle relaxant central nervous system depressant, um, but not as strong. Um, so valerian root can work. Valerian root can also cause uh, some dreaming issues. Um, okay. So uh, that is something to look out for, but it does work. Um, another uh, good one is 5-HTP. Uh, um, so 5-hydroxytryptophan, which is the precursor for what, Nick? Serotonin. Serotonin. Um, and serotonin is uh, a uh, neurotransmitter that helps us sleep as well, makes us feel good. Um, that's how a lot of the antidepressant medications work is by increasing serotonin. Um, so it can it can help as well. Uh, serotonin is also is what is released a lot when you eat Thanksgiving turkey dinner. Mm, baby. And the thought process of I need to go to sleep after eating said turkey. Mm -hmm. um, it usually comes from the uh, graphonian bean. I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> 
I don't know why I remember that stupid shit. <laughs> you always remember stuff like that. Like, <laughs> just like, it comes from the Griffonian bean. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, valerian root in 150 milligrams and then 5-HTP. I don't have that in front of me right now, but it's been shown to work. And the dosage is pretty typical, I think, on most everything that it's on. Uh, I found there's one study where uh, groups were randomly assigned to either consume or not consume 100 milligrams of 5-HTP daily. Okay. And how? Um, what happened? Uh, la, 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 la. Older adults, uh, yeah, 5-HTP supplementation helped reduce sleep latency for up to eight weeks. Prolonged effects were not observed in this. Yeah. So okay. there was one study. It wasn't a huge study, but 20 adults. Um, so usually when you buy a supplement for sleep, it's going to be a compounded supplement of multiple things. Most of the time we're going to see vitamin B6 in it. We're going to see yeah, magnesium. magnesium. We're going to yeah. see zinc. We're going to see tart cherry has been shown to be really good. I think it, it's an antioxidant as well. Yeah, it helps. It's, it's good. Like that you'll see that in a lot of pre-workouts or post-workouts too. tart cherry, tart cherry, uh, valerian root tryptophan, which is the five HTP precursor. Mm -hmm. Um, and then sometimes they'll throw something like glycine or, um, uh, lavender extract. Ooh, that just sounds nice. It does. Isn't La lavender oil something you just rub on, you'll fall asleep? Put supposedly. it on your pillow, yeah. put it behind your ear. Yeah. Like yeah. A lot of high-end hotels might sprinkle a little lavender around. Yeah. 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 Lavender's been shown. Take a bath with lavender or put one of those you know soap things in your shower. Okay. Lavender, um, German chamomile tea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah, you're right. I know. So there's a lot of supplements. I would start personally with glycine. It's yeah. just an amino acid. It's a protein. I agree. I, it seems like glycine, of all these that we just said, that seems to be a biggie. Um, I've heard comments like that. I, I said that human study, the people were using three grams. I hear from longevity people, a common dosage is two grams a day. Um, but I agree. Okay. I like the idea of just starting with some of the natural stuff that we talked about. And if that doesn't work, then you kind of can branch into supplementing. But hopefully people have a good Let's simplify this real quick since we bored the hell. You better lock it up. No, you lock it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so listen, uh, two hours before bed, get rid of blue light if you can. Yes. Keep the same bedtime and wake schedule, if possible, yep. daily. Don't eat too close to bedtime. Yep. Don't exercise too close to bedtime. Don't keep, keep your room cool. Don't drink alcohol two hours before bedtime. Don't drink alcohol. Watch your caffeine if you're sensitive to it. So basically, you're going to live a horrible life and be boring, but you're going <laughs> to sleep really good. <laughs> and then the supplements we recommended, and I think that's pretty much it. And I hope to God we never have to talk about sleep again. All right. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks. The information provided on this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. No doctor-patient relationship is established by listening to this podcast. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this podcast.